This is ETS on the Grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood, and joining me as always is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dylan. How are you? I am doing fantastic. We've also got our friend uh, Chris Moyer back with us today, Director of Content and Research here at Z Prime. Chris, how are you doing today? Dylan, it is great to be back on the podcast with you and Aaron. I am doing really well. I'm very excited to talk about all of the research projects that Z Prime has been doing over the last couple of months. But I also wanted to briefly talk about uh, a very cool thing that, that Z Prime is doing uh, in coordination with DTE and Consumers Energy in, in Michigan. As people are no doubt feeling, winter has arrived and it's arrived early this year. Um, Z Prime is a is a proud supporter of uh, thought leadership and and research and events into energy equity, and we also are supporting a nonprofit in the state of Michigan that is dedicated to helping low and low income customers pay their electricity bills. Uh, we've we've had Santiel Jenkins, the the CEO of the Heat and Warmth Fund, out at our ETS event earlier in, in 2019 uh, to talk to us about energy equity. And this morning, I had the opportunity of being on TV at a local Detroit TV news station all day today. Uh, the Heat and Warmth Fund in association with DT and consumers in, and Z Prime have, is, is raising money through this telethon. And so I got to answer the very first call this morning at 5 a.m. Uh, so if if I forget a, a data point on this uh, on this research roundup today, just chalk it up to the fact that I've been up pretty. I got up pretty early this morning. That does sound fun, although uh, I yeah I don't envy you with that early morning. I um, Chris, you mentioned that we had Santiel at our event this past year. She was actually on my panel, which was around energy equity. We talked about some of the differences she faces uh, trying to serve her community, her low-income community. Um, it, with with uh, Dana Harmon, the executive director of the Texas Energy Poverty Research Institute. Um, so you can find, our, for our listeners, if you're interested in listening to that conversation, you can actually find it on our ETS uh, YouTube page because it is very interesting. They, they face some very unique challenges and distributed technologies and, and cell phones are actually going to play a very large role in the way that these organizations serve these low-income customers. And that's kind of what we got into on that ETS panel. That panel, for those of you that didn't attend ETS 19, the entire week, people were coming up to me about that panel and about what an incredible conversation and asking questions about what they could do in their respective service territory. So if you want to know more about energy equity, uh, this is this is just a, a, a fascinating topic that, that Z-Prime is, is really uh, trying to to bring more attention to and more light to. And so I give huge credit to, to Aaron, uh, to Dana, to Santiel, uh, and all the people that are working in it. So check that out on our, our YouTube channel, please. As you kind of intimated earlier, Chris, we are here to talk about research. We're going to be doing another research roundup in just a minute. But uh, before we get into that, uh, just kind of check, uh, checking in on how everyone's doing. Uh, what has been sort of your pet issue and what have you recently seen that's caught your attention on this issue? 
Dylan, actually, it was really exciting. Uh, Aaron Otan and I were in San Diego last week. We were in California all week, but at the beginning of the week, we were in San Diego to attend the Impact Mobility Conference. And as you know, we've been, Aaron and I have been really into mobility, having done the EV road trip, and we just deployed a a consumer-facing survey with a few, about five questions around EVs. Um, So we're still researching that topic heavily, and we found uh, this conference to attend. And we got to hear from big car manufacturers, but also cities um, and local policymakers about how they're dealing with mobility. Also, micro-mobility. When we talk about micro-mobility, we're mostly talking about scooters. So there's a lot of conversations going on around scooters this past week. But one thing that really stuck out to me while we were at the conference is this these conversations were actually largely dominated by this topic of culture, which is something that we've also been looking at very heavily in the utility spaces. How is organizational and company culture affecting utilities and energy companies' ability to innovate and adopt new technologies and processes? And that impact mobility they're pretty much saying the same thing. This hierarchical top-down culture is really affecting these traditional audio manufacturers in the way they're doing business because they need to transform and explore these new revenue models. But that, that culture is just kind of holding them back. So I, I drew that, that parallel immediately and I, I found it very interesting. And then to to also touch on something that we just talked about, which was energy equity. Another main thing that was discussed at Impact Mobility was how when we rethink about mobility and the role it plays in cities is that the solutions can't serve just these very dense urban areas. They have to serve the whole population. And that means low income and rural areas, especially in Texas. So listening to how, you know, Houston and Austin and Dallas and the surrounding uh, suburbs and rural areas of those communities are approaching uh, mobility was also uh, very interesting. Chris, you've also uh, traveled around a bit recently. What have you been hearing and paying attention to? Yes, Dylan, and and I've I've had the opportunity to to do a bit of travel, as you said myself. Uh, have been connecting with with some of our municipal partners as we get ready for City of the Future uh, in 2020, February 24th through the 26th in San Antonio, talking uh, uh, with cities uh, and traveling to cities like Orlando and Los Angeles, uh, talking with people in San Francisco and Chicago about this event. Uh, we certainly have talked a lot about mobility and Aaron and Aaron are, are, are leading the charge on that. Some of the other really interesting things that, I, that I've that i seen in addition to the research that we're going to talk about today is we've, we have put out a major report on the acceleration of cloud computing and how that is impacting utilities. And uh, there's been a significant uptick since we did our first report back in 2016 around cloud computing and utilities just in the the past three and a half years. 
Uh, we're going to speak more about cloud computing and utilities because there's a whole series of things that we've got coming out on that. We're working with uh, our partners, Cloud for Utilities, a, a group that study that focuses specifically on that uh, project, and and Oracle as well. So more to come on on that report. But um, the the big things that I'm excited to to be talking about include uh, a webinar that we've got next Tuesday, uh, November 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Central on the transformation of the utility business model. And that's going to be something that we're going to talk a lot about uh, in relation to, to the report that we just put out on the future uh, of utilities. Well, we're looking forward to all that stuff. But let's get in to the research roundup. Uh, Yeehaw, Wakash, other whip sound research roundup. <laughs> that's that's my Tuesday morning variant on the theme. So let's get into the roundup. We have released a few research reports uh, over the course of the summer and early fall, covering a wide variety of topics. A recent one was done in partnership uh, with Atos, and it's called the Future Utility Transformation of the Utility business model. Um, the, go the goal here was to determine the immediate impacts of digitalization as well as figuring out how data, IIoT, and partnerships contribute uh, to grid modernization. So uh, how do we go about, how do we go about uh, putting together this report and what do we find? Yes, Dylan, this was a really fascinating report following up on our report from early the very beginning part of this year uh, where we laid out a digital maturity model this was sort of the next iteration how does digital transformation how will digital transformation impact the way that utilities fundamentally do business and it's we believe and that it's going to go beyond just uh improving operational efficiency improving customer delivery but it's going to fundamentally change the operate the operative model excuse me it's going to it's going to fundamentally change the operational model that many utilities have uh, we're going to see over the next 10 15 20 years a move away from the traditional cost of service return on investment build a power station build transmission lines get a rate of return to a more customer-centric and uh, more distributed energy network provider from utilities than, than what we've seen over the last 120 years. And so that was the, the, the main findings, the main theme of the report. And, you know, Aaron, you worked quite a bit on it. I'd, I'd love, what were some of your big takeaways, um, some of those key findings that, that you saw in this report? I would say that the key findings aren't necessarily anything that shocked me. You know, I think it's things that we expected to find, but we verified with the data that we collected, which was that the business model itself is a very big challenge for utilities and shifting away from that traditional business model is giving them, is, is causing a lot of headaches. 55% of utilities reported that budget limitations will limit their ability to transform the business model. And I also think that maybe there's not, you know, the amount of funding they'd like 
that can be attributed to um, a diversity of thinking applied to some of these problems. So again, not to come back to the culture conversation, but how are utilities even thinking about these problems? They know they have, you know, these limited set of resources and trying to figure out how to make some changes and be innovative with that very limited set of resources um, is causing a challenge. So I, I think that how utilities approach these problems needs to change a little bit and maybe some outside expertise is going to be the way to go because there's a lot of new skills and and new things needed to tackle some of these challenges and that expertise and again resources don't always typically exist within utilities today so looking other places to find um, looking other places to fill some of these gaps and help with some of these challenges is going to be critical for these utilities moving forward as they do try to digitally transform their business. That's a great point. And, and I would just pick up on that and, and say that there is an incredible amount of, of institutional knowledge currently at utilities at the, the, the later stage with utility professionals at the later stage of their career. And this is a an area of deep concern when we go and talk to utilities, not just in North America, but around the world, they are concerned of how to properly train these workers that have been there 20, 30, almost 40 years in some of these new digital technologies, but also capture that institutional knowledge of grid maintenance and operation and customer delivery, the things that, that utilities have to do with absolute precision when it comes to reliability issues um, and transferring that knowledge to the workers that have been there under five years. Those digitally native workers, mind you, but workers that don't have that, lo that long-standing experience. One of the biggest things that we found in this report was wh what's driving utilities to think about this transformation? What's driving utilities to look at more at, to, at digitization, to look at then going beyond digitization, taking all that data uh, and, and taking it from analog and putting it on a computer, tracking that, getting uh, using uh, big data to, to try to drive business intelligence and then moving to digitalization. And what's driving that is really the, the concern that over the long term, balancing reliability, sustainability, and financial viability is, is going to be increasingly challenging. As utilities get less of an ROI on existing assets, and as energy consumption is flat to, in some markets, going down, and other markets just increasing ever so slightly, the pressure for utilities to make the, the best business decisions are, are going to increase at the same time that the requirements for them to sustainably provide energy uh, is, is only going to become harder. So utilities are being driven by the, that, that desire for reliability, sustainability, and financial viability to ensure long-term uh, business success. And, and that really leads to the biggest 
the what utilities reported to us as, as the biggest reasons why they they potentially want to change their business model is is customer expectation. Sixty uh, percent of utilities rank cut, delivering. Uh, better customer service and, and driving uh, customer engagement as their number one reason for why they're they're looking at at uh, changing the utility business model and using digital solutions to do so. And that that doesn't really surprise us at all. Uh, this, this is what customers see in the financial sector, in retail, uh, in automotive, and they expect that from from uh, that frictionless experience from their utility as well. So we hear a lot about what about what what needs to be done, why it needs to be done, but you know only 22% of utilities are reporting that their IT and O teams are currently working very well regarding strategic decision making for IoT, IoT data, AI, and other software systems. 55% of utilities are still in exploratory phase for comprehensive digital digital innovation strategies. What sort of holding holding them up then and how do we overcome those hurdles to becoming a more digital utility i think that what what's holding utilities up is not necessarily that they are totally strapped for cash in fact i would say most utilities are fairly well capitalized right now and have the ability to make the make changes it's a question of timing. If I'm getting, because of the regulatory model, because of the current business model, if I'm getting a steady rate of return on an asset that I built 10 years ago, and I know that I'm supposed to get a rate of return on it for the next 20, 25, 30 years, I don't have a huge incentive to, to go out and spend a lot of money to build utility-scale wind, utility-scale solar, uh, to change the makeup of my grid to, that oh, that in some ways makes balancing grid the grid more challenging certainly makes balancing the grid more challenging um, and can even raise the price of of a kilowatt hour uh, to to the customer so the incentive is is mixed they see where the industry's headed they see what the long term policy prescriptive goals are in many states and municipalities, but they also know that right now there's a good equilibrium. So utilities are in that transitionary phase and striking the right balance of, of not moving too slowly for policymakers and customers, but not moving too quickly for their shareholders or, or even some customers that really depend on low energy costs is what I believe, what we believe is, is sort of the, the most challenging questions that utilities are facing right now. Chris, I also think you hit on a, a very important part, and that is the regu regulatory aspect. I think a lot of regulators are still trying to wrap their heads around what data and analytics can do for utilities and on the reverse side, I think that utilities are still kind of struggling to articulate the value that some of these software systems can create within their organizations. A lot of utilities have valuable data, but they don't have it in a way that can easily be managed and accessed and used to create efficiencies and minimize errors within their organization. So figuring out how to 
unlock the value of that data and then also articulate it to the regulator so that the regulator is comfortable enough with saying, okay, you can go ahead and implement that system or start this new program. And I'm confident that it's not going to affect the day-to-day operations of the business. There is still a big disconnect there and there's definitely room for improvement, um, whether that's whether that responsibility falls on the technology vendors, the utilities, the regulators, I'm not sure, but that there's still a, just a very difficult time with utilities going to regulatory bodies and saying, this is what I want to do with this data. This is why you should let me do it. And this is how I can promise you it'll provide value. I still think that that, is, that recipe is being figured out and it's uh, creating a lot of challenges for uh, these organizations. I've had conversations, you've had conversations with many regulators, many utilities. I, I think this, that, has, that has certainly been the case for much of the last five, 10 years. Um, it, it has always been easy to point to, from a utility perspective, well, we just wanna comply with what our regulators are allowing us to do. The appetite for innovation is there from both parties now. That doesn't mean that the, that the roads are clear and that it is uh, full electric vehicle uh, ahead. It is, but the opportunity for collaboration and changing some of those those regulations and changing the model is uh, is much more prevalent now than it has ever been. Does changing the model of that relationship is that an that could be an overall benefit to the utility if you streamline that process? But if that is there a way to do that without sacrificing the necessary data privacy that that is that there that is there put there by the regulators to protect consumers? I believe so, and it it, it just takes uh, an understanding of what's personal identifying data and then also data that they can use as actionable information to help improve grid balancing, forecasting, um, and energy flows on the grid to take in, to, to bring more uh, renewables on the grid, both utility scale and distributed energy resources. Uh, just pointing to the idea that all data is not the same. Uh, and so just pointing to the idea of we have data concerns, and data privacy issues, most of this data is, is not going to be identifying to the individual customer, but it will still be actionable for the utility to use it in a way that allows them to improve operational efficiency and drive better customer delivery. Just as important is the utility are explaining to the customer what exactly they're doing with that data. We know that that traditionally has been an issue. Utilities trying to give the customers a little bit of a a peek behind the curtain. But some of that, you know, customers in their head may be thinking, oh, my utility is doing this and this and they're tracking me at my home. I have a smart meter. They know when I'm turning my lights on. Whether or not the utility is doing that, the customer may be thinking that they're doing that. So it's also important to manage the customer relationship and continue to communicate with them about what you're doing with their data, saying, you know, not all data is the same. 
human behavioral data, I don't think you, from a, on a personal identification level is not something you, the utility needs to touch. That's when you get into really muddy waters and things become icky and scary, but making sure that they're also, you know, telling the customer, this is, this is what we're doing actually. And this is how we're also helping you. I think we'll make that transition a little bit smoother as well. Thank you both for your insights on that. We do have to, we, we do have another research bull to wrangle here in the roundup. Another report I wanted to talk about today involves DERMS, Distributed Energy Resource Management Systems. We partnered with Landis and Gear to explore the status of DERs and DERMS at the utility level and the role third parties uh, play in that ecosystem. What uh, did we learn from that process? Well, Dylan, so the intention of the report was to look at how distributed energy resources are affecting utilities and then who should be controlling controlling them and managing them, whether it's the utility, whether it's a, a retail energy provider, maybe another third party. Um, so that's what we wanted to, to look into when we did this report. And what we found is that utilities think that Distributed energy resource programs and initiatives are very important for their organizations. They're very high on the priority list, and they expect for those uh, programs and initiatives to remain high on the priority list. I actually found uh, or I saw this very uh, helpful graphic on Twitter yesterday that was uh, put out by the EIA. Um, it breaks down all of U.S. energy consumption by source and sector, and um, nuclear energy makes up about 12% of all of U.S. energy consumption. 56% of it goes to the electric power sector, but then 25% actually goes directly to transportation and industrial and industrial and commercial uh, customers. And the reason I bring that up is because it's very relevant to this paper, because what's going on with those those other resources that are going direct to transportation and CNI? Those are affecting the grid, and they're also affecting the utility business model. And so that's kind of what we were looking at when we uh, started to do this report. So uh, what were some of the key findings you saw? So one thing that's pretty interesting and mentioning that that EIA graphic was 75% of the utilities that responded to our survey said that they would like to see third-party providers play at least some role in owning DERs. So the utilities don't see it as their sole responsibility to be owning these distributed energy resources. They'd like to see other parties come in that may have more expertise around solar, um, rooftop solar, They'd, they'd like to see other people helping them figure out how to manage and optimize these resources. Uh, so based on what based on what you've seen, what are some of the key things to look for as DERM's technology develops? One of the, the key things that we saw in the report and that utilities are reporting to us beyond just those conversations was that they're really starting to pay attention to the importance of DERMS, that it is no longer just a Hawaii, Arizona, California market-specific issue, that these are things that utilities in the Southeast, the Northwest, 
the Midwest are even starting to pay attention to as it becomes more prevalent in their respective service territory. So 77% of utilities are, are expect distributed energy resources and DERMs to become more important for their organizations over the next 12 to 24 months. That's not to say that, that AEP Ohio or, or Consumers Energy expects that the, the penetration level of distributed energy resources to, to, is going to match what you see uh, in, uh, in HECO's service territory in Hawaii. But they recognize that more and more of their customers are looking at these solutions. They want to still provide an environment where the customer feels like the utility is a, a trusted energy provider, even as they look at either cleaner energy solutions or more control over their energy uh, production and consumption. Those two major driving forces why customers are looking at, at rooftop solar. For, for Z, from Z Prime's perspective, I think this is incredibly encouraging to see utilities get out in front of, uh, of this potential wave of distributed energy resources. Yeah, and I, I, I noticed in, um, I, I noticed that regulation kind of popped up again he, uh, which is interesting to me, given that how nascent this technology is, that 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 that's still kind of the one of the one of the barriers here. Uh, because and part of that, I think, is because we've done you know we've done looked at derms a couple of times, and the solutions are um, are still being developed. I don't want to say they're currently inelegant because they're I mean people are adopting them, they're doing what they're supposed to do. But I think there's, unlike some of the other things that we've looked at, there actually still is a lot more room on the development side. Um, I guess I went from regulation to development, but uh, I think there's a lot well, of different factors. Yeah, exactly. Really exactly. So I think there's a lot of room on the development side to kind of to kind of uh, pu push this te push this technology in a different in a different way, and it seems like. Uh, that's that's yeah go, going along with that that'll also go along with the regulatory frameworks we we have in place. So I think this is going to be an interesting uh, technology to watch going forward. Deep down in their hearts, you, the utility industry would love if they could make the transition to decarbonized energy without people putting solar panels on the rooftops or or battery walls in their homes they feel like they can make that transition on their own. They also recognize that that's not the reality. And so whether that regulation is, is some form of net metering, and there's certainly battles in all of the public utility commissions about the rates regarding net metering and what the billing mechanism that, that should credit solar users to access the grid should look like, uh, should it actually be a slightly different model, the real cost of solar. Um, these, are, these are serious questions that, that utilities and regulators are, are having to, to deal with. It's, it's not going to stop customers, many customers from, from taking the plunge and, and putting solar on their rooftop. So utilities 
will need to account for this and, and need to actually use derms to make the, the solar panels and battery storage an asset. Chris, well, I think you hit on it, and we wrote this in the, wrote about this in the paper, that developing standards for DER platforms and management is definitely going to be critical, maybe ease some of the challenges between the utilities and the regulator standpoint. It's hard to figure out how to compensate someone for having solar on their rooftop. And like you mentioned, customers aren't going to not put solar on because they don't know how the utility is going to pay them if they do put power back onto the grid. I mean, take California, for instance, um, tragedy strikes and people want to become independent from the grid. And I think we're going to see still a lot of this uh, effort towards individual resiliency, um, microgridding, play a large role in in DERM's adoption. Actually, microgrid controls and a lot of those pilot projects are the ones who are pioneering these DERM solutions, but there still is a lot of different approaches into how to actually control and optimize these resources. We've, you know, seen some potential use cases with the blockchain because of the decentralized uh, nature of of the blockchain. It can verify those transactions and give a little bit more insight into, you know, when this solar, for instance, came on the grid and how much the the customer should be paid for it. for contributing it, but there's, uh, I think, a lack of kind of, you know, standards right now, and it's making it difficult to figure out how exactly to move forward and what the exact right technology solution is for it. Thank you for helping me clear that up. Glad Aaron got the blockchain in there. I know you always love to to be able to bring up blockchain in, in these conversations. Aaron's been. You always have to have a buzzword per podcast. You brought up both scooters and blockchain, which are the which are two things that I uh, always love hearing about. So you've done it. (laughs) (laughs) So we uh, released a report with OSI Soft recently about the state of IIoT in water utilities. Don't talk about water utilities very very often. So this is uh, an interesting uh, project. So what? is the state of IIoT in water utilities. This report to me is is really, really exciting. And and I and I just to to contextualize it, I want to talk a little bit about Z Prime's mission to study and re- report on the changes that are happening in the energy industry, the the water utility industry, and municipalities. This is our focus, and it, it's been our focus for a while. And oftentimes, we do talk. Of, we 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 lead with what's going on in the electric and gas utility industry because change has been so rapid over the last decade. In that grid modernization, put a lot of monetary resources into the pockets of utilities so that they could accelerate that change at a faster pace. Water utilities are now starting to really catch up and they've been able to take some of the lessons regarding the industrial internet of things devices, those connected devices, those sensors on the water grid uh, and in the home and apply that to, to their utility business model and their utility business practice. So there's, you know, to be fair, water utilities are not 
as advanced yet as their electric uh, counterparts, but they are making rapid progress. And so this was sort of the state of the state of what's going on, the state of the union of, as what's going on at water utilities. And, and we found that, you know, there's still a, a tremendous amount, there's still a degree of concern around data and how best to use data at water utilities. The access to all all forms of data is, is a concern. 61% of util water utilities are reporting that 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 is a challenge that they have. The amount of data that they have, they're starting to get too much data, and this uh, is a concern. And, and data siloing is is a concern uh, in the over 100 water utilities that we surveyed. Uh, but this, to, to me, what the, the big takeaway is that uh, that water utilities are, are really turning to IIoT devices to increase the amount of data that they have, and then ultimately they're going to need digitalization systems to manage and produce business intelligence to to drive better results, to improve operational efficiencies, to make sure water quality water safety and water reliability uh, is is of paramount importance uh, in, in working with their customers. We're actually fortunate enough to have a friend and colleague who's working directly on this uh, issue. That's Shay Fabide with his startup Varuna, um, a, a water a sensor, I believe, um, and he's trying to solve that problem, that issue with the access to data. Water utilities, they need more information to make better decisions. I think a lot of folks' relationship with the water utility as it stands today, for instance, uh, this happened to my mother when I was talking to her on the phone uh, last week. You know, she was, I was talking to her and she's like, oh, the water utility is outside because this pipe burst and it's been leaking water in the street and there's so much water. And she was just, you know, kind of floored by the amount of water that had been leaking by the time uh, the utility had gotten there. And so she was frustrated that there was no, no, uh, she was frustrated that there was no preemptive action that could have uh, to limit the amount of water that was spilled into the street. And I think that's just very, that, that anecdotal story is very representative of the challenges that water utilities face today. Trying to figure out where these things are happening and getting to them before they happen or as soon as they happen, um, which may seem like a, a, a basic thing to today's con consumers because we have so much access to information all the time. Water utilities are still trying to get access to some of that basic information to make um, their operations more efficient and more effective in delivering clean and clean and reliable water. Yeah. Uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers reported that there were over 240,000 water main breaks in the United States. Uh, in, in 2017, which is the last year of, of fully co uh, compiled data. Uh, and that, that costs uh, water utilities and taxpayers $2.6 billion a year. And so some of those sensors can help uh, either prevent the, the, the break from happening in, in, in the first place, 
through consistent monitoring, and, uh, but then they can also help on the mitigation effort to help uh, deploy trucks uh, and, and crews to fix those water main breaks faster and more efficiently. So those are some of those big things that, that water utilities are, are using IoT, IIoT devices for and, the, and uh, big data software systems to, to, to drive better results. So those are some of the those are some of the solutions that uh, water utilities are hoping IIoT can help them overcome. Uh, and there's lots of they want to improve efficiency, and there's many data challenges they have to overcome. So how are they uh, doing it, integrating that data? And where's the data well, coming from, for that matter? Yes, two great questions. A little bit two different answers. The, the data is coming from a, a variety of different sources. As I mentioned at the start of, of this conversation, the number of IIoT devices in the water utility industry is not as high yet at, as in the, um, the electric and gas utility industry. But we're looking at uh, SCADA, as, as a major source of, uh, of, of where data is coming from, supervisory control and access data uh, as, as, a major, as a major point. Um, other areas that uh, water utilities are, are starting to use more of, um, getting more data is geographic information systems. And as Aaron mentioned, the, uh, our, our colleague, Shea Fabaday is, is working on water safety, water quality sensing systems. Uh, and that's just at the, the we're, we're just sort of at the, the start of those devices. It's a very important issue as we have aging infrastructure, some pipes are, are, are have lead, um, some types are lead pipes that uh, certain types of chemicals that to treat water can exacerbate and, and strip away some of that lead, putting lead into the water system. We saw the tragic results of, of that in, in Flint, Michigan. But Flint is, is just indicative of what many, many uh, hundreds and thousands of municipalities and water systems have around, around the country. Uh, so making sure that you have really strong water quality, water safety testing is going to be a, a, a paramount concern for utilities and, and consumers going forward. Lead's just one of the examples. Groundwater chemicals like PFAS, these are, these are things that, that more and more leaders are thinking about and, and trying to deal with. The second part of your question when it comes to where um how are how are they integrating this data uh at this point the water utility industry is is still coming to to grasp with collecting data from a variety of different sources and what our paper found was that using a a data management software system uh that many utilities are still not using data management software systems as effectively as they could be to aggregate all this data and produce that highest level of business intelligence to drive those results. And if there was a recommendation that we had coming out of it, it was to be, it was to look at um, data management software.
Right. Well, Chris, uh, thank you for going over that. I think uh, there is a lot happening in the water space, and that will be something that we'll need to keep our eyes on uh, going forward. Um, and I, Chris, I want to thank you also for being on here to, for another research roundup to talk with us about uh, some of the great research you both have been working on. It's been my pleasure. I, I look forward to getting back on the podcast with the two of you in the next few months and, and talking about that, the work that we're doing on uh, cloud computing and, and many other and change management and many other things that we've got in the pipeline coming down the road. Sorry to mix metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, thanks for being for being on and for all the work you do on, on making this research a reality. Thank you, Dylan. As Chris mentioned, I'm really excited about some of the stuff we have going on. That being said, um, we are going to be, Chris and I are going to be out and about the next few months. Um, this next Austin attending an event around artificial intelligence and automation of of things, so transportation, energy. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And then also be in DC in a few weeks, really talking about the intersection of energy and policy. Um, so a lot of a lot of good things on the horizon that I'm really excited to work on. Yes, and for people to find out about uh, all that stuff and to check out the research that we've covered here today, along with so much more great content, you can head over to etsinsights.com. Uh, that's where all our that's where all our research and media can be found. You can also find us on social media at dy lockwood at aaron hardick at chris underscore moyer thirteen and at z prime underscore research. Uh, my name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>